Welcome to the first episode of Right Place Right Now. I am Brandon Johnson, and sitting across from me is my co-host, Travis Fields. We are so thrilled to bring you this first episode and many more episodes to follow. But let's just get right into it. Travis, what is Right Place Right Now? Right Place Right Now is just this. Success is a skill. It's not luck. So the goal of Right Place Right Now is really to normalize success as well as to normalize failure. When we see successful people, it sometimes seems like they're just luckier or smarter or just better at something than us, or maybe they just have more resources than us. And the reality is successful people are just constantly putting themselves in the right place. They're constantly creating circumstances for themselves that create their own success. So what does it take then to be in the right place for somebody that's just being introduced to this concept and idea? Well, the first thing it takes is intentionality. We have to be intentional with our thoughts. We have to be intentional with our mindsets. We have to be intentional with our relationships and we have to be intentional with our actions. That's where it starts intentionality. Now, once you have that intentionality, once you understand that mindset, the next thing is you have to put in a lot of work that nobody else sees. You have to be in places that no one else is willing to be to get to the places where everybody thinks you're an overnight success. And the thing that we want to demonstrate with that is intentionality, making sure that you're being very thoughtful and intentional with putting yourself in the right place to align with that future success, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and so once you have the intentionality, once you're willing to do the work, you're going to fail sometimes. And a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is fear of failure. And how do we approach fear of failure? Really, failure is a learning experience. You're going to have roadblocks. You're going to have setbacks. Those can be seen as failures. But success is on right on the other side of those roadblocks. It's right on the other side of those things that seem like they can't be done. It's right on the other side of those impossibilities. Yeah, I know that if I look back on my journey and see kind of those series of being in the right places at the right time, the opportunities that have come my way, it's all about the circumstances I've created for myself through those intentional efforts, fighting through that failure, fighting through those roadblocks like you talked about. And it always seems to come after me doing a lot of the hard work that you're talking about, those things that people don't see behind the scenes. That's what really leads to that success. And I think that's what we're finding from our guests. They really are demonstrating a pattern of put yourself in the right place at the right time. Enough times an opportunity will happen. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the same with my story. I can look back on every success I've had and I can trace it back to a series of right places before the success. So what would you like to see for our listeners and what can they get from our guests and our show? Well, for anybody listening... I hope that your biggest takeaway from this podcast is that failure is normal. Uh, I want you to be able to see the same patterns as our guests in being intentional, getting in the right places and creating opportunity and achieving success through that opportunity. I also want our listeners to understand that success is more relatable than you might think. We often see success as something that's obtainable for other people and not for us. So I want all our listeners to see that success is relatable. You can achieve it it is possible for you. And then they can start putting themselves in the right place today with small steps to see those results. So if you're struggling with this idea of self-doubt, lack of confidence, uncertainty, fear of failure, 
what we really want you as the listener to get out of this is there are a bunch of other people struggling with the same things that have been able to work through this. And the real goal of this is we want you to start putting yourself in the right place so that you can write your own success story and have something that you can be proud of and can use to inspire others. So Brandon, this first episode is a trailer of our favorite pieces of our conversations with our first five guests. What can our listeners expect to hear from these conversations? What we're really hoping to accomplish with these first five snippets and this trailer is we want the listener to get a feel for the show, a feel for us as the host, our story, but even more so a real insight to what type of guests we're going to have on the show, what type of struggles they face. The fact that they're just everyday people facing everyday challenges is something that we really want to capture to help normalize some of those conversations you talked about earlier that failure is normal fear is normal. And we just want to share those stories with the intent of inspiring others to still be able to move through those in their own life. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to get this out. I'm really excited that you guys are here listening. And I'm really excited to see what you guys can get from these guests and from the guests coming up. So here's a piece of our conversation with our first guest, Croy Sather. In this segment, we hear from Croy on how fear can be a roadblock to finding the life that you want. It's fear that shows up as procrastination, distraction, uh, doing something that they, they don't want to do, not taking the action. So fear is like, we talk about this thing as a, a fear. Fear doesn't show up as like this whole thing that I'm afraid. Like a, uh, a guy comes to you with a gun and points it into your face. That's a legitimate fear. Every other emotional fear is a construct of your imagination. Um, it, it's danger is real it, as Will Smith in it, that one movie that he had with his son, you know, danger is real, but fear is imagined. And so we have all of these fears that show up in different ways, but the biggest fear, two things that the two of the biggest fears that we have is as people are embarrassment and, and fear of rejection, which embarrassment is a form of a fear of rejection. So it really comes down to fear of rejection, which ultimately comes down loss of connection or slash love. And so if I do something stupid and I fail at it, I'm going to lose face with my community. My family isn't going to love me. Or if I succeed really big, then I'm going to lose connection with my family or they're, they're, they're going to be jealous of me, which that also happens. So a lot of people are afraid of, of success because they're afraid that they're going to lose the love from their family. And that's another big one. So what can we do to adopt that mindset that fear is not going to own me and I'm going to get past it? What, what's the first step to getting past that fear? Saying screw what other people think. <laughs> and, and I say that jokingly, but it's, it's true. When you can, you need to work on yourself first. It always comes down to working on yourself, working on your mindset. You have to evolve as a person because if you don't, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over, you'll always get the same result which actually isn't true. If you keep doing the same thing over and over, you'll actually get a worse result over time because of atrophy. And so if your income stays the same, so if you imagine if you're making 20 years ago, you're making $40,000 a year. Imagine now 20 years later, you're still making $40,000 a year. Can you still buy the same amount of groceries, drive the same kind of car and own the same kind of house? You can't because, because of inflation. And life is like inflation. If you do go the same level, you'll get worse. So physically, if you're, I'm, I'm 180 pounds. If I stay 180 pounds all my life, by the time I get into my 70s, 180 pounds is now a fat person. Right now, I'm lean and I'm fit and I'm healthy. 
because I'm working out. But as you get older, your body atrophies naturally unless you do something to counteract that. So unless I'm working out a little bit harder all the time, I'm going to naturally atrophy into a fat person because biologically that's what happens to the human body. If your bank account doesn't continue to grow, inflation will grow faster than it and you'll become more and more broke over time. Relationships are the same thing. If you don't continue to grow your relationship with your spouse, eventually your relationship's going to get worse and worse and worse. You're going to be two people living in the house that don't even know each other anymore. So we have to work on ourselves more than we do anything else. It's always about personal growth, and that's learning, it's meditation, it's physical, it's, it's everything, spiritual, it's everything about it. You have to continually grow. And when you do that, the main thing, one of the best things you can do for yourself is work on your own personal confidence, to answer your question. Working on your own personal confidence. And when you work on your own personal confidence, that means not worrying about as much what other people say. Now, a lot of people say, oh, don't worry about what other people think. We're humans. We, of course, we're going to worry about what other people think. But the idea is to minimize the effect that has on your life. So to be bold enough, to be strong enough, confident enough to be able to take the action you need to take and not let what other people think about you hamper you going forward, slow you down from going forward. Because it's not about not having fear. It's about taking action in spite of the fear or the discomfort or the embarrassment or whatever it is. Uh, the the word that keeps coming to my mind as you're saying all of those things is intentionality. You have to be intentional about those things. If you're unintentional, inflation wins and atrophy wins. If you're intentional, you get to be ahead of the curve. That's a great way to look at it. I've never thought of that word uh, in this conversation. That's just a perfect word. It is absolutely. And you should be intentional about everything you do. But you don't need to, like the, the headlight example you were using before that, that uh, Jack Hanfield uses, you don't need to see how the, the whole distance to get there but like, I know I'm going to become an even better speaker and authority in the world. So I know where I'm going, but I don't need to necessarily know how I'm going to get there. I don't need to know if it's going to be through books or if it's going to be through all podcasts or if it's going to be through um, videos or whatever it is. That kind of stuff you figure out along the way, but the intentionality of I'm going to end up here one day. So one of my goals right now, as we talked about before, is to have four homes in four different countries so I can learn four different languages fluently. I know I'll get there somehow. I don't know which countries yet. I don't know how I'm going to buy them yet. I don't know, you know what format that's going to come in. Maybe I'll buy them in an Airbnb amount, or maybe I'll just timeshare them or, or some version of that, buy a portion of it with somebody else. I have no idea how it's going to happen yet because I haven't found the homes and, and found the structure that works for that particular place. But I know I'll get there. And so if you want to be a great parent, how do you be a great parent? Well, go read some parenting books. Go talk to parent, other parents that are good parents to become a great parent. You want to lose weight? Go talk to people who are healthy and fit that was fat and figure out how they lost all that weight and became healthy and fit. Now, people that have been fit all their life, while that's a great example, find out from people who have actually been through your journey with the intentionality, I'm going to be healthy and fit. It's a great word. I love that. Episode two features Jesse Cole. In this segment, Jesse teaches us how to think differently by standing out and how to find your energy instead of finding your passion. And I realized that we had to be dramatically different. So I started at our games having dancing players and grandma beauty pageants and salute to underwear nights and flatulence fun nights. And you tried it. I tried it. And after like five years, I was like, I can't be dressed up like everyone else. That's not who I am. I'm this showman crazy guy. You know, I can't be at a polo. So I, I called one of my buddies who actually owned a bridal formal shop. And he's like, I can get you a tuxedo. So he got me a black tuxedo with tails and a big top hat. And it was 101 degrees the first game. 
and I almost melted in that black tuxedo. I was like, this is not going to work. So I uh, searched online, find, uh, found brightcoloredtuxedos.com, uh, overnighted a yellow tuxedo, and wore it the next day at the game, and everyone was pictures and having fun, and it stuck. It became my uniform. So now I'm probably the only returning customer at brightcoloredtuxedos.com. I'll give them that. And, um, <laughs> and um, uh, I own seven of these, and it's my uniform. When I put it on, it's showtime. So I wear it all the time whenever I'm at our stadium, whenever I'm giving speeches, whenever I'm podcasts, because this is, this is me amplified, and this is who I love to be. Talk to us a little bit about that, because you said this was – the P.T. Barnum and Walt Disney, the greatest showman and the happiest place on earth, right? You adapted this personification of this yellow tux to, is it just to get attention? I mean, you're, you basically just said, this is my ringleader outfit for the circus is what I took from that. Is that fair? <laughs> well, you know what P.T. Barnum said, no one ever made a difference by being like everyone else. And I believe we weren't born to fit in. We were born to stand out. And so I think what holds people back is fear. And, you know, when you go somewhere, you want to try to fit in, you want to try to feel comfortable. But I think the greatest growth, the greatest uh, accomplishments comes when we get uncomfortable. And so this was uncomfortable. Believe me, it's like, oh, you, you seem so comfortable in this. Not the first time. People were like, <laughs> what is wrong with this guy? I mean, what before COVID, when I was traveling, speaking like crazy, I, I'd wear this in the airport because I'd be going right to a speech. I'd be getting picked up and then given a speech. And people would have their phones up and be like, this guy is a lunatic. I mean, not, not just kids would be pointing, adults would be pointing. I mean, and every time I went through TSA, I, I would get checked. You know, they would literally check me. I was like, you know, are you kidding me? Would I dress like this if I was going to do something crazy on the plane? Come on now. Uh, finally, I got the TSA pre-check, so I don't have to go through that ritual anymore. But uh, the reality is, is uh, yeah, I mean, I, this is something that I believe everybody has within them. They have something that makes them stand up. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't even be an outfit or attire or something, but it's something genuinely unique that often we hold back because we're afraid of what people will think. And so I want this to be able to give permission to everyone to be a little different, to stand out. And yes, does it create attention? A hundred percent. But you know what? If you really want to make a difference, if you want to really get the hearts of the people that you're trying to move and make a difference, you have to first get their eyes and their ears. And so I believe if you want the hearts, you have to first get the eyes and the ears. And so yes, we needed this. The same thing I learned with the Savannah Bananas. We had to get attention first before we succeed because we failed at first. And I think so many people fail because they're afraid to stand out. And that's why I try to embody this every single day. So how do you approach that with people when you talk about fear? Obviously, you're a natural showman. What do you, how do you approach it with somebody who's maybe not as outgoing and not as ready to get in front of people with that fear of failure or fear of being in front of people? Uh, I know your, 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 your biggest fear, you say in your book, is uh, settling. And I think like, it's easy to stand out or to want to stand out when you don't want to settle. Yeah. But when you want to fit in and, and you're battling that, how do you approach that? Yeah. Well, I mean, at first let's start like, you know, I'm not telling every introvert to go get out and start being crazy. That, that's not for them. What it takes is it takes a lot of doing. You know, uh, Herb Kelleher was asked by a reporter in his first few years with Southwest Airlines. He goes, what's your business strategy, Herb? And he said, it's called doing things. That was his <laughs> entire business strategy. <laughs> And the reality is most of us, we get so stuck doing the same thing over and over again. And that happens to get the same results. So if you're trying to find how do you stand out if you don't you know, feel comfortable, just start trying things, doing more things. And so what I realized that the best way to stand out is often to do things that give you energy. And so how do you create, how do you do that? Everyone says, oh, find your passion, find your passion. How do you, you don't know what your passion is until you start doing lots of things. What I challenge people to find their energy, find what gives them energy create their energy list. 
So for instance, I started doing this. I mean, my first few years, Travis and Brandon, I mean, it was brutal. And I'm in the industry, 23 years old with a failed baseball team. I was cooking in the concession stands. I was selling ads. I was literally doing ops around the stadium, which I'm terrible at, trying to put up signage and fix things. I was doing so many things. At the end of the day, I was often exhausted. But the days that I wasn't exhausted were the days that I was in front of people, that I was promoting, that I was actually sharing what we're doing. Those were the days I was fired up, just like I am right now with you. So I realized that on my energy list is creating, sharing, and growing. When I'm creating things, coming up with video ideas, new ideas, promotion ideas, when I'm sharing on stage, on the field, on a mic, and when I'm growing, learning, listening, listening to podcasts, reading, I have energy. So for anybody, what I suggest is start doing an energy audit of your days. What are those things during a day that give you energy? And lean in on those because that's where you're going to be able to find that area that you really stand out on. And that's at the end of the day where you'll feel on top of the world and you'll want to do more. And that's what I've learned that it takes. In episode three, Yemi Mobilade talks about natural abilities, skills that can be developed, and how to use them together to be more effective and grow. There's a sweet spot between the two. I think some, some of those are perhaps strengths that we have within us, and it's a discovery. It's a process of discovery. Well, but more often is, you know, what you do with those skills and how you nurture that over, over time. Sometimes you accidentally stumble upon certain skills. And honestly, that's been a huge part of my story is realizing, I still remember the first time I realized that I was good with people. It blew me away. <laughs> it really did. No, I, I kid you not. I was, uh, so I'm an immigrant, came into this country that I love so much in, um, back in 1996. I was a 17 year old um, international student in South Bend, Indiana. I went to a a liberal arts Christian university, and I came to the country um, as a young person, lost. I kid you not. Who I am today is not who I was back then. I came in lost. I came in hurt. I came in angry. I had a poor relationship with my dad. I couldn't get out of home fast enough. I remember, and trying to learn some of the cultural dynamics, I remember being in college, and um, fly, I mean, I'm flying halfway across the world, leaving my homeland, and people would say, do you miss home? And they, they asked it in such a way that they expect an answer of, you know, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry you missed home. And I would look at them going, no, I actually am happy to be away from home. Um, that, but just to give you a background of where I was in that season of my life. Now, my dad and I, we have a, we have a great relationship. You know, that's part of um, my growth, my maturity, his growth, his maturity. But then it was not good. So I came in lost, I was a late bloomer, never really did much in terms of involvement in anything, church, school, nothing, sports, you name it. And so I came in to the US with, a, with, a, with just kind of a, 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 I was lost in terms of who I was, what skills and abilities that I have. And, but what college afforded me the opportunity was to not have that family pressure and to be able to just experiment, try, and fly and make mistakes and get back up. Um, and some of that was, you know, in freshman year in my speech class was bombing that big time. I would just really shake and my friends who remember me from way back then, we still laugh about Yemi back then. And it's crazy for people to think about these days because they see me speaking and they're going, oh, you do a good job. I'm like, yeah, that's not always been the case. Um, part of that was, um, you know, just, just, I just kept trying. I just kept trying. And so um, my, by my sophomore year, um, going into my junior year, 
my college was fairly small enough that during our homecoming season, where alumni come back for, for the events and the sport, on campus, we, had, we did a homecoming pa pageant. Now, many people that have grown up in the US understand what that is. And that was very common in high school. Never even, I didn't know what that was. So I, I, didn't, I didn't even know that our school had that in my first year. So in my sophomore year, I get a call, I get a voicemail in my, in, at the dorm room uh, on my answer machine. And the voicemail said I had been selected to for this, the homecoming experience and I being on the pageant. I remember turning to my roommate and asking him and saying, I have this weird message and being invited to be in the pageant. What does that mean? And my roommate looks at me and said, Yemi, that means people like you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> I, it was, I kid you not, it was, um, it was a complete shocker. I didn't know what to do with them. I'm like, what? People like me? Nobody ever told me that. Why do people like me? And so, and then I began to realize, oh, that, that was true. And people like me enough that I ended up having a weird crown on my head. I'm like, what is this, you know, in this, in this experience? And, but what I began to realize was uh, it was a gift. Now, what do I do with that gift? And how can I leverage that gift to move the right things forward, the right causes, the right initiative? So it was, it was, it was something I didn't realize I possessed. That was just natural. But over time, as I owned it, I began to use it for good things. In episode four, Ethan Fisher teaches us how to take lessons from the things we're good at and apply those lessons to other areas of our lives. My basketball ego, like I, I have a big head when it comes to basketball. Um, I think that kind of confidence helped push me to being a better speaker and to being able to address this. Some people look at like anger and aggression as negative. I saw an interview with uh, Kobe Bryant, you know, before he passed and he talked about his kill list. And if you say a kill list, everybody's like, oh man, that's negative. But what Kobe had was this list of all the people he wanted to be better than who were drafted above him or who, you know, and I've always had that. I never labeled it as a kill list until I saw that interview. But as a undersized point guard, I always had lists of people I wanted to beat. And when I got a chance to play against them, I would go at them. I would never back down. And I think that competitive aggression that I have, because I'm a, I, com I compete, I will go toe to toe with anybody when it comes to what I care about. And so I applied that to the speaking thing. And so I just substituted again, this will that I had from a basketball standpoint said, okay, I have a different job and purpose now and career with this speaking thing. Put all your energy and heart into this and treat it like basketball. And so I wake up and it's a part of the same comparison we're talking about. I'll see other speakers and their social media stuff. And honestly, I get pissed because I'm like, man, I'm better than that dude. What's going like, put me on the stage with him and I'm going to slaughter him. I've taken that same basketball mentality of, I want to be the best speaker out there. And so I just substituted my love for basketball to this game of speaking. And it's, it's hard because it, it like, it's not the same as playing. I can't go to a court and take out all this pent up energy and aggression on the basketball court and, you know, 
do a three or four between the legs and turn you around and pull up from deep and, and laugh at you. I can't do that with, with the, the speaking stuff. Like I have to kind of, you know, keep this composure and saying, Hey, this is what I got to do. And, and so it's, it's, it's a different, it's a different thing, but that's my mentality is I want to be the best at this speaking thing. I wanted to be the best student when I was at Johnson Wells and, you know, I was awarded the president's award and all that stuff. So I was literally the best student on campus because I set my mind to it. And so when I wanted to play basketball, I set my mind to it. And then when it came to the speaking thing, I made a decision on April 1st of 2014. I said, I'm going to be a professional speaker. And then I haven't looked back. He knows the date. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I can see kind of a, I think an important pattern here in the things that you're talking about. So you took your addiction to alcohol and turned it into something positive and you've taken this confidence in basketball and turned it into a confidence in speaking. So maybe that's a, a practical piece that we can pull out of this for our listeners is everybody's good at something. Like we all have natural strengths and we all have natural passions. You can take those natural things and apply them to things that maybe you're not naturally good at. If I can do it here, I should be able to do it there also. So you can kind of draw from that natural tendency and apply it to other things that maybe aren't as natural for you. You can still like, those are things like, just because you're not naturally good at it doesn't mean you can't learn to be good at it. And you can take that confidence from what you are good at and apply it anywhere really. No, yes, sir. That's a, a quick piece to that. So my mentor, on the speaking circuit is one of the top speakers in the world. When I met him, he laughed at me as a speaker. And last summer, uh, the 2019 summer, um, I was speaking at his leadership conference. And after I was done, he got up on stage and he goes, I just want you guys to know, Ethan was the worst speaker I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> when I first met him, he was wow. like, he was so bad. And, you know, my first instinct is like, oh, my gosh, that hurts. Why would you say that? <laughs> but then he goes, now look at him. He's the best speaker here at this conference. And mm -hmm. it kind of brought that to circle is just like anything. I've worked at it. I practice my speech. I, I look in the mirror when I'm doing this and I'm like, how do I get that same, you know, aggression on the basketball court? How do I put it into this slide? How do I, how do I make this word resonate longer with somebody? How do I, you know, make this blackout scene seem more visual for the person with their eyes closed? So I've just applied those same things of basketball. Like I've got to be really, really good with my right hand finish, you know, or a floater. Now I just apply that same kind of concept to whatever my speaking path is. So it is, it's, you don't have to be great at something, but if you were willing to work at it, and you care about it and you have purpose and passion about it, you can apply it to whatever it is in life that you want. In episode five, Nathan Larson talks about the amount of work it takes to become successful. You had a, you started your YouTube channel, what, about a year ago? Restarted, I restarted my YouTube channel in late fall of 2019. I actually started my YouTube channel in 2016. So yeah, that have been like close to five years ago and did that for, I, I had the idea of what I'm doing now, five, six years ago. I knew I wanted to be teaching music production and songwriting. I knew there was a market for it. I knew that 
I had a way of doing it differently than other people who were doing it. But I started doing YouTube. In my mind, I was going to sell an online like subscription membership for my thing, like you know, $10 a month and you get access to my quote unquote academy or whatever. And um, started doing the YouTube videos in, in 2016 and basically saw no success. I mean, it was like, I'd be happy to get 100 views. Did that for probably six months, made zero money, didn't sell anything and didn't even get my website built because I didn't know, I just didn't know what the heck I was doing. I had just graduated. I actually was still in college when I started it. In that six month period, I graduated college, basically tried doing this full time for a bit. We had a little bit of room financially, my wife and I to allow me to do that. And it just, it didn't work at all. And basically quit, ended up coming back in restarting, I suppose you could say in late 2019. So you, you had, uh, I know in just in early 2020, you had about a thousand subscribers on your YouTube. I just looked this morning, you're at almost 64,000. That's a lot in a year. So what's the, what's been the reaction of people from the outside looking in to that, you know, you, you go from a thousand to 65,000 people in a year. What, yeah. what, what are, what are people saying? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely heard like, oh, what did you do like to grow so fast? And I, I've heard, I've heard different things. Like I've heard a little bit of it. Fortunately, not a ton of people have been like, oh, you got lucky. Um, I haven't heard that a lot, which I'm, I'm thankful for because that would be very frustrating to hear. <laughs> but I have heard a lot of people that are kind of like, you know, tell me the secret. How did you blow up so fast? And like a few months ago, you were at, you know, this number and now you're at this number. And, you know, my, my YouTube channel is at a growth rate of about anywhere between 8,000 and it's peaked at about 25,000 new subscribers in one month. And so it's just been this pretty crazy growth, but I've definitely heard a lot of people who are kind of like, you just did it so fast and everything was so easy. And like I said, no one's been like, you got lucky because I think anyone who watches my channel can see the amount of work I put into it because I, I think there's, and we can probably talk about this later, but there are reasons why my channel has grown faster than other channels. And it took a lot of learning to get there, but most people look at my channel like, yeah, that makes sense. But they still think, yeah, you, this just like happened almost, even though it might not be luck, but it just happened and it was so fast and whatnot. Yeah, well, I I asked you a question offline, and I, I think it's important that I ask it again. I asked you, what does it take to be an overnight success? And I <laughs> loved your answer. So what is the answer to that? Yeah, the answer is you you do it for five years, and you suck at it, and you fail. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you figure it out. And when you that's the thing that I've learned is that the growth, not just on YouTube, but even for my business in terms of just like revenue generated, when you figure out what works, it, it is a lot like catching fire to dry brush and it can, it can just take off crazy. Um, YouTube in particular, because that's how their algorithm is designed. It's designed to find things that are going to get maximum viewership and maximum audience retention. And then YouTube is going to do the rest. But the same thing is, is true for a business that if, if you find and build something that the market market wants that people are eager for and excited for and are demanding, then if you can figure out your traffic and marketing, it's like, yeah, it can just, it can just happen extremely fast. Yeah. I think the key there though, is it took you five years to figure that out. It took a long time. And even, even when I came back to it, even let's just take even last year. So 2020, 
back in 2020 in January, my program was not even built yet. I didn't even build my program until I just started selling it the end of January this year, but I started building it probably six months ago. I started selling it only to people more one-on-one. So I wasn't doing broad market. Like I wasn't going and selling it to anyone who wanted to get jump in because it wasn't finished. So what I did was I charged a lot more for it and I did a ton of one-on-one. And so I used that one-on-one to help me figure out, okay, how can I better build this program, this course to serve the, the students and also still make money so I can, I can survive. Like the, the program in the, in the way it is right now didn't even exist until like two months ago. And so it took that long to build plus all the time it took to learn YouTube. Cause I mean, I spent pretty much all of 2019 just studying YouTube, just like learning, listening to podcast after podcast after podcast, watching video after video after video. I mean, literally a year of nothing but learning how, how to build a successful YouTube channel. Like what are the key ingredients to doing this? And then in 2020, I pretty much spent all of that year learning okay, how do I actually make money? <laughs> you know? And so it was literally just a year of just nonstop nose down. How can I actually turn this into a real business that'll take care of my family? And so, yeah, it took, it took a long time, even though like you look at it now, you zoom out, you're like, oh, that was so fast. It happened so quick. But it's like, from my perspective, it's like, you don't really see all the, all the time, the years that it took to basically just study and learn. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to our first podcast. It means a lot to us. If you've enjoyed these segments from our first five guests, please keep listening to hear the full interviews with each guest as well as many more great interviews to come. Also, if you like what you heard today, please take a minute to go leave us a positive rating and review. It's the best way for us to get our show out and inspire more people to live life in the right place. Thanks for listening.